just listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day you're happening to be listening to this, I'm just grateful for anyone who bothers to listen. Morris Bistinski's my name, this is Love That Album, the podcast where I talk, funnily enough, about albums, and albums that I really give a damn about, hence the name Love That Album. And on the other end of a Skype connection is another man who loves a lot of albums, he loves a lot of music, and his name is Michael Persh. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Morris. How you doing? Oh, look, I'm I'm just in an excited mood because I'm here talking with you about great music tonight. And indeed, we have two albums, not one, two albums to discuss by um, a band who I'm not quite sure that they ever sort of hit their stride as much beyond these first two albums. I'm talking about The Pretenders. Yeah, I guess debatable. And, and uh, as as we spoke when we um, when we talked about doing this show, the... The, the live album that they put out a couple of years ago was one of the best live albums I've ever heard, but it's called Live in London, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beauty. Okay. Um, well, look, we'll talk a little bit more about The Pretenders and the, the legacy of these two albums, uh, and maybe a little bit about some of the other records as well uh, in a few minutes. But um, as I always like to do, well, actually, before we talk about what we've been listening to, what, so what have you been up to? We last spoke a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, to... Uh, uh, talk about Sky and their legacy, and that was a, a, a truckload of fun. So, um, but what else has been new in your world over the last couple of weeks? Too much happening, mate. Uh, we spoke about this before we uh, we started the show, but um, uh, I, I, as you know, I, I do a little bit of management work for a, uh, an Adelaide band called the Borderers, and they they're very well known around Australia. They flit around the country and play a lot, and 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 pretty much pick up a, a backing band wherever they play, and. Um, I, I got a call the other week and said, "Oh, can you can you fill in for us uh, next Sunday at a gig?" And having never played with them before and uh, no rehearsal, my life's just been turned upside down. So I have I have seventeen tunes to learn in two weeks that I've never played. So it's um, yeah, <laughs> it's a scary story, but you know what? From what I've read, it's not a unique story. So I'm sure you'll come out on top. And if you don't, well, you know what? It's their band, not yours. I know. Well, I'm somewhat comforted by the fact that the the bass player has been with the band for for ten years, so he's going to be he's going to be holding me up. I'm sure. Oh dear. No. So so I've I've been listening to the same seventeen songs in the car, in my, on my on my MP3 player when I'm practicing them, and it's just I'm I probably will never want to hear them again after. You know, the the hard thing I find about learning new tunes is not just, I mean, you might sort of get the general gist of the tune, but you might find that somewhere around the bridge there's some weird timing shit that goes on, and uh, you might find that for, you know, just one bar they 
change time signature or they throw in something completely unexpected and you have to listen to just that one bit over and over and over again to work out how it fits in with the rest. You might find 98% of the song is straightforward, straight ahead, and just just one little bit there that throws you. Absolutely. And then I've found that in, the, you know, in, other, in other situations when you actually go to play it, you forget it anyway and bugger it up. <laughs> And the band gives you the look and they just keep yeah. on playing. Yeah, that's right. They'll give you that you're the drummer look. <laughs> Do you th- as, as long as they don't trash you in front of the audience, as long as they say, we want, to, we want to bow down to the god of thunder, the god of drumming, Michael Persh, our manager, who yeah, gets not, us these wonderful gigs. Not this gig. It's not going to happen, but uh, we'll be playing. <laughs> it's, it's an outdoor gig too, which could be interesting. So, mm-hmm. Oh, well. 30,000 people, you reckon? Well, that's what they're saying. It's a street fair in a, a, a seaside place called Semaphore, which is a, a little bit, I sell, I guess, a little bit like St Kilda in in Melbourne. And um, nice. I've never, I've never been to. This is an annual sort of thing they have, but I've never been to it. So, yeah, Jim, Jim informs me there could be twenty to thirty thousand people there, but I guess they're not there to see us. So let's hope they're at the ice cream van. And <laughs> we're 30, not. We're not. Thirty thousand people. Time. Out of thirty thousand people, you'll find that some of them will be paying attention. Yes, anyway. Yes, so, uh, and that's also what I've been listening to a lot, mate. <laughs> so, have you got anything else that you've been digging aside from uh, from uh, learning the Borderers songs? Anything like that, any artists who you're bringing into, uh, or you have recently brought into uh, the bar in Adelaide? Who you've been digging on? Um, I have, but one, but one album that I that I sat down and listened to, and I have a. I think I alluded to it last time we spoke, but I have this bad habit of, of chronologically uh, putting all my, my records in order. And one thing I do do, which is probably probably very, very strange indeed, is instead of just listening to things randomly, I will start at one end and, and listen through the lots. I guess just to make me listen to things that mm. I wouldn't have. Yes. And, and I've recently done that to my, to my vinyl, and I've, I've just got to the end of it, which I was totally sick of playing with vinyl after probably two years it's taken me to go through it mm. but one of the one of the last lps that i ever bought in 1990 uh was laughter and lust by joe jackson which i oh, thought fantastic and i'm interested to, to hear your your take on this album because I, I i made myself sit down and and really listen to it and part of me was and i'm it's one of those albums that i didn't listen to a lot when i bought it there's some great tunes on it but it yeah, like I, I enjoyed some of it, and some of it left me really cold. How, how does that album sit with you? Oh, look, I, I agree. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, you know, I, I have to have. I, I was going to say I have to have every Joe Jackson album. That's not completely true. There was a couple that I just could not take on. There was um, when he decided to record uh, Joe Jackson's Symphony Number no. One, but you know, it was a symphony with a rock band that I just found that a little bit too. I don't know. I don't want to use the word pretentious, but just because I think you know, whatever. You know, if you have a mindset to do something, then it's not pretentious. If you if you uh, have your heart set on it, then you know that's fine. But it just, I don't know. That didn't do anything for me. A night and day two was for me a shocker. Um, but laughter and lust was always yeah. Look, I, I'd say, I, I agree. With you. It's an album of great tunes rather than necessarily a cohesive. Mm, statement mm. as such and like if you compare something like you know like his you know the early albums like um you know look sharp and i'm the man which have um you know that sense of roughness about it and this is probably the other end of the scale it's 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 really and yeah you're right it's slickly, really maybe over polished 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very over-polished, uh, slickly produced. And yet, you know, there are, there are songs, songs on it like um, uh, uh, Drowned at the end, which I think is possibly, um, maybe aside from a slow song, I think Drowned is just about one of the most beautiful songs he's ever written. Um, and oh, I can't remember. There, there, was, there was another song that has a bit of a... Uh, not a Cuban feel. I can't remember what it's what it's called. Um, uh, My house, I think it's called, and that that just that knocks me out every time I hear it. So, you know, once again, it's it's not an album that I'd say I dislike. I I like it very much, but it doesn't work for me as a cohesive statement. It's just I, I'd have liked to have heard someone else produce it. I've liked to have heard you know a few more rough edges, but. Um, mm-hmm. But and I, and like I the, like the musicianship it. on it is fantastic, as usual. There, there's a guy in it called Dan Hickey, uh, a drummer who I don't think he ever worked with uh, apart from this album, but he did bring him to Australia when the Laughter and Lust tour... Um, I think actually that might have been um, his, his, the show in Sydney that he did, which was you know put onto VHS back in the day, uh, was the last show of that tour. And if you... If uh, you got to see the VHS, or you got to see the recording of that, um, or you know the live concert, uh, they had, in, so as well as um, Dan Hickey on drums, he had Sue Hadjopoulos, who was you know his on again, off again percussionist, and she was on this tour. And when they did Look Sharp together, it was great when they did this drum percussion duet sort of thing, just pretty much like she'd done with uh, Larry Tolfrey back on the Night and Day tour. And really, really exciting always to hear that song being played. Uh, you know, the two of them just really... You can see in the video, they're eyeing each other off and uh, working really, really well together. So it was, it was a great show. It was a great show. And, you know, look, it, it's still an album that I do pull out from time to time. So it, it's not one... It's not gathering dust. So th- th- there's a lot to be said in, in its favour, I think. Yeah, and, look, you know, there is some really good... Look, the hit single is lyrically, you know... A, a really good example of what a great songwriter Joe Jackson is. It's really cutting and clever, and 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 the thing that I still don't know if I like or not is is the cover of the old Fleetwood Mac tune Oh Well, and I that's one of my favourite tunes ever, and and I really still don't know if I like Joe Jackson's version, but I'm totally perplexed as to why he put it on there and why he recorded it. Um, look, I'll say I do love it. I really do love it. Um, uh, I, I think. It's- but partly, I guess it's because I remember watching him play it live, and Dan Hickey was really sort of going hell for leather on on the kit, and I think it just—I I don't know. I guess if you if, if you're in love with the Fleetwood Mac original, which I confess I am, um, there's a more lightness of touch there. Whereas you know, Hickey really thumps the skins on this one, and it, it for me it just completely works. Um, mm. So so yeah. Anyway, but no, I'm 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 glad to. Uh, so, so when you say that you just sort of dug that out quite recently to give that a listen to, was this the first time you listened to since you know the days when you'd bought it? I probably, I honestly, I've probably played it maybe three or four times since I've since I've had it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Look, as I said, it, it is, it is an album that I do enjoy. I mean, not not really in the um, uh, top shelf of of his. Uh, Repertoire, but yeah, certainly one that I like. And, and there's a couple of albums which I just never play. Um, there's uh, one, one one that I still do have, but I don't know why. It was an instrumental one. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called, uh, but yeah, I, I don't take that out. Uh, but you know, he, he made he made a really good soundtrack for a film called uh, Tucker. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's just called Tucker about um, a guy who made, like, I think back in the 40s. It was a Francis Ford Coppola film. And he, uh, I think about it had Jeff Bridges playing the main character who'd gone and designed, uh, you know, one of the greatest cars ever to that, to that point. And it was going to be so efficient, such a classy car that the big car companies, um, you know, no pun intended, drove him off the road. And... Um, and it completely ruined him. So I think that of his of Tucker's car, there were only like 50 ever made. And I, I heard rumor that between Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas, they owned the majority of them. So um, hence you know, probably why they sort of got together to make this film. But the soundtrack is um, is really, really wonderful. That's something that he wrote very jazzy. But yeah, that's that's about the extent of what what I've been uh, my ears have had the time to listen to, mate. Okay, well I'll I'll talk about three albums that um, that have uh, been in my ear holes, as it were, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, now the first one, I'd be very surprised if this wasn't an album that you're a fan of, uh, but I, I'm ashamed to say that I only heard it for the first time about a week week and a half ago and this is the soundtrack to a film that's I think 40 years old now uh, a classic Australian surfing film called Morning of the Earth now is that have you seen that film or uh, but I, I bet you'd know the soundtrack I do I do and um, I, I, I had um, oh his name has jumped out of my head the guitar player uh, Tim Gaze on the show many oh, probably three or four years ago now right um and yeah, he told me told me some great stories about that that they that they actually did, um, like they, when it was playing in theaters, they they actually went and played the soundtrack live to the movie. How awesome would have that been? Well, they they did that, I think, uh, like a reunion. Yes, um, yes, a couple of so years ago time. to do yeah. to do that. But did they do that back in the day as well? Apparently, yeah. Wow, that would have yeah, been awesome. that would have been so exciting. I mean, like, I wish. I really wish I'd uh, been a fan of this album, you know, years ago. I wish I'd gotten hold of the album years ago. So I tell you what, if if I would have sort of been in its, uh, you know, in its space when when they did the uh, reunion shows, you know, a year or two ago, I think I would have anted up the money and gone because um, I'm just loving this album. So um, you know, like uh, a lot of the a lot of the artists who were, I guess, you know, probably big in the day. So uh, guys like you know, G. Wayne Thomas, who I think was responsible for quite a number of tracks on the album, uh, a band called Ticket. I've never heard of them before. Do you know anything about Ticket? No, I, I know the okay. name, but I can't. Right. It's it's all sort of just before my time when I you know okay. I was I was only you know probably because it was was it really early seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was you know. You were, you were just a youngin. Yeah, indeed. So, <laughs> <laughs> you so, know, I I only discovered it sort of, I guess, in the, you know, ten years after it came out. Right, right. Well, then you're you're still way ahead of me on 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 that. I'd love to see the film, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm making the, actually. So the good thing though is at least with the um, CD that I got, it was the 30th anniversary edition, so from 2002. And it has a lot of music that wasn't on the original vinyl. So the CD actually goes for almost 80 minutes. Um, so, yeah, a lot of really great songs. I've been listening to that all week. Uh, an- another couple of the bands or a couple of the acts who are on this who um, uh, for sure you would know, uh, Brian Cadd has a few songs on this. And I've never given much credence to Brian Cadd, but by God, some of these songs that he does on here are really, really good. And um, uh, Tam and Shud have a, have a few songs on this. And I was listening, like the first song, I thought, 
my goodness, that singer sounds uncannily like um, like Broderick Smith. And then I read through the notes, and it was Broderick Smith. I think you know the, the singer wasn't available, and he, they just roped him in. And um, yeah, yeah, a, a song I think called uh, First Things First. And yeah, really, he does a does a good job. So um, out there, if you uh, get the chance to pick up Morning of the Earth soundtrack, either on old secondhand vinyl or or the CD, I you know, strongly urge that you do. It's, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, as I said, it was a soundtrack for this surfing documentary, and I guess the Australian surf sound is very different to, you know, the American surf sound. You think of surf music from America, and instantly you think of uh, Dick Dale and you know, or, or you know, the Venturers or you know other bands like that that sort of had that, you know, full-on Stratocaster twangy sort of sound or you think of the Beach Boys and this is something considerably different you know the, the, there's a bit of um, uh, some of the songs have an orchestral feel so you, you, you tend to think rather less than of um, uh, I guess from a, from a visual perspective you tend to think la- less of fast surfing and more of the slow motion being in within the um, the crest of the wave sort of thing and that's that's sort of the image that really sort of presents to me while I'm listening to this and it as I said nothing like the American surf sound but it so completely works for me as a uh, surf music so I'm gonna have to track down the the film I think I don't, I've never seen it on DVD it must be out there but I'd love a copy of it yeah, yeah I, I, I'm sure I'm sure there are ways and means <laughs> if the DVD is not um, officially available um, the uh, now another album which no doubt you would um, have uh, bought in for your collection or you'd certainly have a lot of the tracks on it is a really excellent anthology that's just been out, I don't know, a couple of months now, I think, called Boogie, Australian Blues, R&B and Heavy Rock from the 70s. Now, have you... I've, seen, I've seen it kicking around, yeah. yeah the, I was going to say, the, the, um, the excellent thing about this is it's got something for everyone. I mean, it's... Look, you know, it, it gives a picture of 70s pub rock, so Eric Reanimator, if you're listening to this, then this is definitely an album that uh, you should be chasing up. Um... But it, it's got a mixture of uh, some really well-known tracks. So it's got, you know, Chains Black and Blue, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs. Uh, some people, uh, most people I know think that I'm crazy. Um, uh, Daddy Calls High Honey Ho. Uh, and Skyhook's Saturday Night. Although I'm surprised that they didn't actually put, you know, their song Boogie. You know, given that this is called Boogie. But... Um, you know, there's there's some some lesser known tracks, I think, or well, at least you know stuff that you don't hear on the the uh, classic golden oldies radio station. So you know, got Renee Gayer doing her version of Elmore James' "Dust My Blues." Um, you've got the Captain Matchbox Whoopee Band doing their take on uh, "Your Feet's Too Big." Uh, Bust, Buster Brown with something to say, and if you're listening from overseas, and no rose tattoo, but you know, um, Angry Anderson used to sing for this. Uh, R&B band. Um, yes. oh, and the drummer was Phil, Phil Rudd, who uh, is sitting behind the drum kit yes. of ACDC. Indeed, so, indeed. Great band they were. Um, Stevie Wright doing guitar band, so not Evie. Um, of course, there is Rose Tattoo doing a Bad Boy for Love, which you know, is definitely my favourite Rose Tattoo song. Uh, the Band of Light doing something called the Destiny Song. I, I'd never heard of them. Uh, yeah, there was there was a there's a lot of great bands from the early '70s Australian bands. Band of Light is a great example that that didn't you know 
people have forgotten about. So it's it's great that compilations like these come out. Mm, mm. Oh, I mean, look, you know, I, there, there's probably been like a stack of compilations of all the really well-known stuff. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm quite happy to sort of see, you know, a good anthology of things, you know, which features, you know, the usual suspects, you know, the Easy Beats and Russell Morris and, um, you know, uh, who else? Um, you know, I mean, you know, probably like, uh, you know, Dragon... Um, although I, well, I guess technically they're Kiwis, but still, you know, any of the usual suspects of uh, Australasian music who were, you know, big on our radios back then and on Golden Oldies Radio now. But this is, uh, you know, a different picture, slightly different, but also, you know, really part of the overall tapestry that was Australian music back in that era. I mean, there's there's a couple of Cold Chisel songs on here which uh, I, I, you know, thought, well, I, I wouldn't have expected them to be on this. I would have thought you know it would be a lot more obscure stuff but they they pick you know songs that you wouldn't necessarily um expect not the famous songs so they're picking home and broken hearted uh and what else what else do they have on it um i, I know there's another chisel song on here oh yeah goodbye astrid um so yeah they've got ted murray gang doing dark town strutters ball which you know i, I know that they've received a lot of flack but i love their version of that that's, that's <laughs> although a great band indeed a lot of um <clears throat> Excuse me, what else? The Angels, am I ever going to see your face again? Which I've never been a huge Angels nut. And I'm not quite sure whether or not to explain to um, Max what uh, the um, the uh, crowd sing-along version of Am I Ever Going to See Your Face Again is he all about. He will discover it of his own accord someday. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But yeah, anyway, look, uh, Boogie, it's called Australian Blues, R&B and Heavy Rock from the 70s. If you're... Um, uh, an Australian, if you, if you live here in Australia and you're a fan of that sort of music, then you don't need me to persuade you to go out and get this, presuming you don't even have, you, know, you already have some of this material. But um, if you're living uh, overseas, I'm sure you can get it from one of the uh, uh, CD selling sites, or indeed it's probably on iTunes, can can get it that way. But uh, yeah, in particular, Eric Reanimator or Tim Merrill, I know that uh, you two. We'll um we'll dig a lot of the tunes on um on this double CD, and the final CD I want to talk about, and yes, I'll confess I have a vested interest in this, but it is still fantastic music. Um, the band is called Texture Like Sun. It's a new band, and the lead singer is my nephew Mark Pearl. So yes, family uh, interest in there, but um absolutely he he has a fantastic voice. And he has a real flair for writing very great soulful songs. And um, he's gone and released, uh, you know, self. the band have got to release a self-titled six-track EP. Uh, they, um, have, they've had like two singles already off, uh, off the CD. The first one, Bottle, came out I think almost a whole year ago, but got quite a lot of airplay on uh, 3 Triple J. Oh, 3 Triple J. Oh, just Triple J, the ABC uh, rock station. And uh, the latest single is a thing called One Great Prize, which has a really fun film clip. Um, so I went to see the CD launch. They've already done one in uh, Sydney and Brisbane, and they did the Melbourne CD launch uh, a few days ago. And it was just really wonderful to see them all up on stage. And they, they had to do a lot of work to get it sounding as good as it did. But I was telling Mark that what I liked about it was they definitely sounded like a cohesive band rather than just a band of great players. And, and yet yeah, they were just really on top of their game. So texture like sun, if you're living locally, uh, then keep an eye out in your gig guides. You'd uh, do quite well to go see them live. 
And I think what I'm going to do, uh, before, we're going to go to a break. Normally I go and play like a promo for one of the other podcasts that I like, but what I'll do this time is I'm going to play a track from the Texture Like Sun CD and I'll play the latest single. This is called One Great Prize. here in Melbourne, Michael sitting in his bar in Adelaide. You always keep uh, refreshed there in your bar in Adelaide? You have a good good stock down there, Michael? Cup of tea tonight, mate. 
<laughs> Same here. I'm sitting in a bar in Melbourne. Fantastic. Tea. I don't know many bars that serve tea, but um, we, we have the finest. Mm. All right. Uh, actually, before we go talking about the pretenders, I forgot to make mention that later on in the show, uh, Eric Reanimator will be uh, back as usual with his uh, An Album I Love segment. And this time he's got a good one. Uh, well, he always has a good one. Uh, but this time he's talking about the first album by Concrete Blonde, their self-titled album. So uh, that'll be coming up a bit later in the show. And But for the moment, we're going to be talking about the first two albums by The Pretenders. I should give a bit of a shout-out to one of the people on the Love That Album Facebook page, David Stevens. He was the one who actually suggested that um, we tackle The Pretenders on the show. He actually just wanted, to, um, wanted us to tackle the first album. Uh, but I've always been you know, probably a stronger fan of the second album. And then I thought, well, you know, let's... Take the best of both. I know I, it'd be quite easy considering that you know both albums have you know twelve or thirteen songs. We could be here all night, and we certainly don't want to do that or bore the listeners too much. So we've basically gone and chosen our favourite songs off the first couple of albums. Uh, so about six or seven off each of the first two albums. So it sounds like you know it'll be as long as any other show, which is about five hours. God, that's <laughs> I got to shorten these shows down. Um, but anyway, so Michael has chosen the uh, the songs off uh, Pretenders 1. I've chosen the songs we're going to discuss off Pretenders 2, so to be chronological about it. Well, actually, before we talk about the albums, let's just have a bit of a chat about um, about the band itself. So what was your first memory of uh, hearing the Pretenders, Michael? Oh, probably the same as everybody else. Brass in pocket. I'd, I'd like to be you know, really clever and say I'd heard of the band before that, but I hadn't. <laughs> and, and, and Brass in Pocket is one of those songs that I'm not sure if it's if it's this works for you, mate. But the the film clip was played, you know, ad nauseum in Australia, and that ruined the song for me because you know I love to have a mental picture of a tune, and it changes every time, and I can't listen to the song, and I still like the song, but I can't get that awful film clip out of my head, and I really was awful. Well, my... I have a few things to say about the film clip. I'll leave it till we get to um to talking about the song in in itself, but. Um, look, yeah, look, like you, I remember, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing you probably saw it on Countdown or something like that? Yeah, I guess, I guess yeah, I guess it would have been. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, look, you know, having said that, I still had, you know, my, my, my Chrissy Hine fantasy still lives on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, no, I, look, I, I remember seeing that, um, seeing that film clip. I wouldn't necessarily say I had the Chrissy Hind uh, fantasy, but, uh, and certainly after listening to an interview with her on, um, uh, EONFM. Back in the day when she was, uh, you know, talking about Pretenders Two, uh, I thought, oh, a, a little, a little bit scary, a little bit scary. You know, she, um, I don't think she suffered fools gladly, but um, yeah, no, look, I, but yeah, I remember seeing her in that uh, film clip, and um, yeah, look, I, I, I thought, I thought, you know, straight away, great melodic tune, but it gave us an impression of what the Pretenders, what the rest of the music was going to be about, and when we get into talking about the albums, we'll see. It was not as straightforward. It was not what we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, they to me, I thought you know those those um, you know, uh, yeah. So what was it? Was it Talk of the Town? That might have actually sort of come out. Oh no, that, is that from the first album or the second album? I shouldn't know because we're um, because we're talking about it. No, stop your sobbing. Here I go. See, I'm I'm just yes. Really it was stop it stop your sobbing was the first single, but I don't recall it being released in Australia, or if it did. 
it, it really didn't get any play. But you know, I love that song. Well, that was that was produced by Nick Lowe. The the, the first two albums, apart from uh, that one song by Nick Lowe, were produced by Chris Thomas, who. If I'm correct, was you know uh, an engineer at Abbey Road who might have actually even been an engineer on, on um, uh, some of the Beatles albums, including the aforementioned Abbey Road. Well, at that time, Chris Thomas made you know he, he touched everything. His name was everywhere. Mm. And I think it's probably in no small, um, no small thanks to him that those first two albums are probably why that's where I stop with them. You know, like the the third album, Learning to Crawl, has a few good tunes on it and certainly like I'd say Back on the Chain Gang as a song would probably have to come be coming close to being my favourite Pretenders song but there's just more of a generic production sound across that record that uh, I think Chris Thomas certainly took the approach on those first two albums that you know the, the mixing desk you know, let's wipe it for every song and we've got to come up with something because every song has a different approach there were ballads there were hard rockers there was punky stuff um, the 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 same approach to every song is not going to work, and really, to his everlasting credit, that he probably did something like that. That's what I'm guessing anyway, because you know the songs they don't just sound different from a performance perspective, but the production work on um, on these songs they they don't sound the same between any two songs, in my in my opinion. Mm, and and that's and I guess what you know what you said about Brass in Pocket did not set you up. You know, the album, the first album was, you know, nothing like that really, was it? It was so, so diverse. But that's what I love about the first two albums, same as you. Mm. All right, well, let's, let's get to talking about the album um, uh, in, in its own right. I mean, it, when did it come, so it came in about 1979. Uh, the band had only been together for, you know, a few months. I think they got together in 1978. But 79 was in, when album number one came out. And let's talk about the opening track. This is like an oral assault on your senses. Uh, this is the first song. It's called Precious. Let's listen to a clip. Across the street, cause you're precious. Moving through the Cleveland heat, how precious. You're taking that and all the kicks are so precious. You know how to shit and bricks, cause I precious. Make me wanna. Make me wanna. Make me make it. All right, now you chose this record, or you chose the songs off this record, so um, I want to hear your first thoughts about uh, Precious, Michael. Pre- Precious, for me, really opens opens with Chrissy Hines' voice just pulling your ears off, and, and it really shows what a great voice she's got. And I don't think Brass in Pocket really did that, and that's, that's what I really love about Precious, but it's... You know, it's such a great rocker to open the album, and it's so different to the other things on the album. It's got a real psychedelic sort of feel about it. It's, you know, it's the production is really. I, I remember in the day the Pretenders were, were sort of lumped in with Nick Lowe and um, Rock Pile, and, and the, I guess a lot of the post punk sort of band, you know, Elvis Costello and all that. And this, you know, a lot of the songs were so 
you know, reminiscent of different things. But um, yeah, I guess Pressure still stands up for me as as something really different to the rest of the album. Although the album, you know, I think is really coherent. It sits together well. But it, you know, this one just stands out as something different. Well, look, you know, I, I tend to think like they have that those first three or four songs on on uh, that first album that really work very well together, and you sort of think that they had that punk, that attitudes, that style, that you know, sort of punky sneer, and you know, like it had only been just you know, a short time before that you know she would have been in the audience, I imagine, to to see the Sex Pistols, and I think for a time Chrissy Hynton might have even worked in Malcolm McLaren's shop in uh, in London. So she would have been right in the midst of it, like every other band of the day. You know, you, Susie and the Banshees and, you know, all those other bands. Um, everyone would have seen the Sex Pistols and no doubt Chrissy Hine would have taken something away from that. And the first thing you sort of imagine when you hear Precious, at least when I did, was, um, you know, once again, A, the shock of it not being anything in the vein of Brass and Pocket and think it was a completely different band. But also... Um, you know that she'd definitely gone and taken something away from the Sex Pistols, but I, I guess you know the musicianship was obviously going to be you know, far better. But she took uh, either her or James Honeyman Scott's guitar on this. You know, this, it's a buzzing as a chainsaw uh, guitar style. But you know, when you hear Martin Chambers on this, and by God, what a drummer he is! Um, you know, and, and actually, I'm going to be saying this a lot through through our discussion that. Um, Pete Fanden, the original bass player, and Martin Chambers were just a crack rhythm section. They were so much in each other's pocket, and you know that's something I know that you'd appreciate. Absolutely, and and that was I think that's you know the underlying strength of the first two albums. Mm. Oh, definitely. They, there's you know, probably a lot of these songs I've gotten written some notes, gone and say, "Yep, yeah, Fanden and Chambers, Fanden and Chambers." <laughs> they they really knew what they were doing, um, and Look, un- unlike say, like uh, you know, a group like uh, the Ramones, who, regardless of whether they're doing bubblegum pop or chainsaw fast punk, um, they 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 always sounded like the Ramones. But you know, Precious and Brass and Pocket, as I said, you know, they really sound like two different bands. And I think that it's the versatility across those two albums that really make them so strong. I know that the most ridiculous thing that was accused of Pretenders 2, and I understand that there are people who prefer the first album, and that's fine, I respect that. But I didn't like the fact that people said, oh, Pretenders 2 is so much like Pretenders 1. So the irony, which is, you know, it, it kills me. Is that is a bad that, thing? Is, is Well, A, you're right, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing, but there's so much versatility between, you know, your ballads, your punky songs, your pop songs. There's so much versatility going on. So if Pretenders 2 is like Pretenders 1, it's because it's versatile. Oh, yeah, another versatile album. They're, they're repeating themselves. I mean, what did they want? It's just, it just knocks me knocks me sideways. I think, just think it's really, really stupid. Um, but, uh, I don't know, look, I, 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 like what, I like what's happening here. Now, uh, and on Precious, it's, you know, Hind has, has this real sort of attitude. She takes no prisoners. She puts up with no bullshit. It's all sneer. And I like the fact that it's track one, side one, album one. She doesn't work up her confidence. She's got confidence right from the get-go. And I, I just find that... Um, incredibly exciting. I, I, I just love, I love the vocal delivery 
Um, mm, I, absolutely. I, I hear rumour that she wrote this song about her hometown of Akron, Ohio. I mean, I, I can't really pick it. I don't, I'm not sure that I can understand from the lyrics how it uh, completely writes, but uh, how, how it does. But um, there, there's certainly a lot of sneering sarcasm on this. Oh, I'm not precious. And, oh, yeah, you're so precious. But, um, no, I, 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 and I love it. You know, she's sort of taking her time. You listen to this and, I'm not sure about you, but the first time I heard this, and I'm going to mention this about another song from Pretenders too. First time I heard this, I was I was afraid. I thought, you know, she sounds scary. And then you know, you're listening to this, thinking she's going to explode at any one time. And then the last line, she said, "But not me, baby. I'm too precious. Fuck off." And, Whoa! <laughs> and there's a put my head off. There's a there's an, there was an EP that came out in between. Pretenders one and two, and there's a live version of Precious on it. I've, I've I'm not got sure. That. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. That's, it's, it's awesome. Great. It's just killer. Mm-hmm. I would have, yeah, would have loved to have heard that one played live. It would have been uh, very, very exciting. Let's talk about the next song on the album. This is uh, that we wanted to talk about. This is uh, Tattooed Love Boys. And there's twenty doors. Around her heart, back and blue, the two love boys I tore my knees up, get sent to you, cause I need it I found out what the thing was for, I've been reading Man, the time came to explore I went eight fire, cause I thought Like I like it, little tease But I didn't mean it But you mess with a good star, you gotta pay Now, it's no surprise to me that you'd pick this song because as a drummer, you'd have been drawn to the alternating 7-8 time common time signatures. Is, is that something that draws you in? It is, but it's also got, it's also got one, of my, one of my second favourite things on it that hides in, uh, hides in tunes and you've got to go and, uh, and listen in the background. And, and one of them is the hidden tambourine, but there's, there's lots of hidden shakers on this album. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, know, well, I, I mean, I, to me, I thought the, the shakers are really up to the front. Yeah, yeah well, they are on this, but there's, there's a couple of they, they sort of pop up a bit, and I really love that. It's, it's a simple percussion thing, like a tambourine, that is in so many songs. You don't necessarily hear it because you're, you're listening to something else, but it really does make a difference. Mm. But it, oh, for sure. But the... I guess the other thing that really grabs me about this song and, and a lot of songs on Pretenders One in particular, they're also they're all really short songs, you know, under three minutes, and they just grab you, belt you, and they're gone. And and this is another one. But but uh, you know, the thing that I love about this song is the killer guitar riff is just classic. Oh, it is. It's got that, um, especially in in the bit in the middle where um, I, I think that they, they sort of do that stop-start sort of thing and James Honeyman Scott does a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-dum. And, and I'm sounding like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, I agree. I find that, um, yeah, once again, exciting is, an, is another word I'm going to be using a lot about uh, this album. No, it, it's really, it really is a cracking little tune. And the other thing is, like, normally you figure a song that would have those alternating time signatures would be would spell death to the dance floor. But somehow I imagine that if you were to put this on at any party, people would be out there dancing. It's a, it's a really up-tempo little track. And even for all the odd time signatures, it's still very danceable, I think. 
Mm, absolutely, and 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 I mentioned the Pretenders live album from a few years ago, and the version on there is just awesome. But it, again, look, the 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 band still is fantastic, but it's you know it still misses you know the original guys. There's just they had something special, didn't they? Yep. Oh, absolutely for sure. They um, uh, look. I mean, I've always sort of felt that during those first two albums, the Pretenders were a band. Uh, after that, it was you know, Chrissy Hind and musicians um but you know they, they sounded tight they sounded together and i'm not taking away from uh musicianship but this was uh, a band even if it was you know a band where it would be hind in charge um you know creatively because she you know is main songwriter but i still feel that everyone probably had something exciting to contribute and it really sounded like a like a cohesive band and uh, yeah I, I just can't go away from those first two albums um, so look, I, as I like to do, you know, I always like to talk lyrics. So just, I, I find this one uh, really fascinating. Um, it, it it's sort of open up to a, you know a couple of different interpretations, but essentially it sounds like Hines' character, she's singing the first person, is a you know a former hooker or at least you know a woman who was um, shall we say sexually experimental. Um, you know, she sings a good time was guaranteed for one and all. The tattoo. The tattoos did target practice in the hall. Hmm, another masturbation song. While waiting for their number to get called out, I found out what that wait was all about. Now, you know, here we are in the 21st century, wondering how the hell our kids are listening to crappy songs with sexual explicitness, while back in the day we were listening to really good songs that were sexually explicit. And, you know, that's that's pretty full on, I think. Um, she's singing, uh, you know, this... Uh, look, uh, but you know, later on in the song, you know, she's singing this, looking back and telling her former lover or sex toy. Uh, now I see you all impressed and half undressed. You got paint stick all over the scars and lamps and bumps. Have you have you uh, have got you where I used to lay? So I'm wondering, you know, are those skin lesions? Of, you know, I think some interpretations that that that, that was AIDS. Um, this is really hind at a toughest and nastiest uh, the complete flip of what she could be on some of the other songs that we're going to discuss but um, I, I really love the fact that she has a strong interest in writing about the dark side of sex and um, uh, there's one song in particular on uh, Pretenders 2 that um, that also you know, follows in that line, we'll get to that shortly but yeah, no, this is um, a, a song about sexual explicitness and weird time signatures and Oh, yeah, just love that. Any other thoughts? I just like the guitar. If you you, you put much more, you, you, you pay far, far too much attention to this. Job. Oh, God, look, you know, I, I need a life. I need a life. But, you know, that's why I have this podcast, so I can you know, make, make have an excuse that that is my life. All right, let's listen to um, uh, a bit of a clip from uh, the next song that we want to discuss. is called The Weight. I'm not 
This is this is this is my favourite tune on the album. This is such a killer. This is such a great rock song, mm. and it's one of those tunes that I could hear. And I guess maybe because I don't hear it all the time, but I never get sick of hearing it. It's just you know as fresh as the first day I ever heard it. And yeah, it's you know I I just love it. And and there's shakers in this one as well. Go go get your ears on and listen. But the the thing I love about this song mostly is, and you you may have. You being being the uh, the lyric man about town, <laughs> this is one of those songs that I've got no idea what she's talking about, and half the lyrics I'm not sure even sure what she's saying. But right. I, it's still it's still really it really just grabs you just, and it's um, vocally it's it's the weirdest song ever, isn't it? You know what? Like, I guess what you're saying there about you know, me being the lyric man about town, and I can confide in you, I haven't got a clue what it's about um i know that there's a whole lot of uh wait child pool hall child gonna hurt some child messed up child there's a whole lot of child going on in there but i don't know maybe it just sounded good to her um but you know look musically what i like about this is you know what we we're saying before that precious if precious is a, a, a nod of the hat to um to uh, the Sex Pistols, then I'd say that this is pretty much a nod of the hat to Blondie. I, um, I yeah, def- definitely feel it's got a bit of a Blondie feel about it. It's sort of a punky pop, where yeah. you know, whereas Precious is real out, out and out punk. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I can hear that. Mm. Um, what else was I going to say? Uh, the, uh, the, I, I guess yeah, I, I really like that heavy use of that uh, scratchy rhythm guitar. I'm not sure if it's Scott or Hind. I, I know that you know Scott was nominally the uh, the lead guitarist on this, but I suspect he probably did a lot of the really tight rhythmic stuff on that. And he was such a fine uh, rhythmic guitar player as well as lead guitar player on um, on this album. There's some yeah really fantastic technique on that. And um, once again, Chambers and Fanden, um, they just it's just ridiculous how they're so much in each other's pocket on um, on this song. Mm, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's get to um, uh, the next song, the, the the first single from the album, the Nick Lowe produced Stop Your Sobbing. It is time for you to stop all of Now, have you heard the Kinks original version of this? I have, and I love it. But it's the, this one just was something a bit special. It, and I, maybe it showed off, you know, what a versatile singer Chrissy is, mm. because it's so different. As we said, it's so different to 
to everything else. And it, and again, I still love hearing this song. I've, I've never got sick of it. And and it really, you know, Chrissy's voice is the thing that um, that carries the song. But yeah, I, I do love the original as well. Look, I'm I'm with you. I, I do like the original, but this is one of those rare cases where I think the cover version surpasses the original. Um, I'm I'm a huge Kinks nut, as as you know. But um, I, I just think that probably, you know, it's Chris Thomas's production on this. Um, it, it's, it's really bass, maybe not bass heavy, but um, there's something that's really holding it down. Whereas like the, the Kinks version almost sounds like it's going to fly away. This is bringing it down, bringing it down to, uh, to the ground. And um, also what I was saying before about, you know, Chris Thomas's uh, production approach. Once again, it wasn't a cookie cutter approach. This sounds... Um, completely different to Precious, you know, uh, Precious, which I, I, I seem to keep coming back using that as the, the role model for this album, but, uh, you know, this, this song really sounds like it could have worked in the 60s with this production technique, whereas, you know, produ- oh, whereas Precious really sounds like it belonged then and it was contemporary, it was late 70s, um, and I, I just admire the fact that he said, right, I'm going to do what is sympathetic to the song, and, you know, it's a credit to the band, it's a credit to him. Um, no, I just uh, yeah, absolutely uh, love what he what he does. I wouldn't say this song quite has the Phil Spector sound, but it feels like that's maybe what they were they were going for. I don't know. Do you think so? Well, to me, it sounds like the birds could have recorded. It's just got okay. that um, you know that jangle that the birds had, if you know what I mean. Oh, there's definitely some jangle on this. That's for sure. So yeah, yeah. No, I, actually, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very good comparison. Um, I, I love Hind overdubs herself on vocals. Um, but it, it doesn't quite sound like the girl group sound, but you know, there's, there's still something very, very special. And, and because you, you've already gone and said that she had that unique style of singing, you know, you could spot it from you know, a mile off. You hear her background vocal, vocals. It's not some sort of generic uh, girly group background vocals, you know, a girl group for hire. Um, it's, yeah, I think, it, I think it really makes it something very special. Mm-hmm. And it also comes, I think, at a really great point on the album, just when we need it, after we've sort of had that oral assault of uh, you know, those first four very, very tough songs. It's nice. We're sort of like she's saying, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, little bit of a break, a little bit of relief, and we'll have some, uh, some beautiful melodic pop. And you know, she, also, she shows both the, the musical side that you know, the band had the chops to, to do this more gentle style. Uh, as well as a punk pop style, but it also showed, I guess, her emotions. She could sing those songs, those you know, early couple of songs, which had a real sneer, a real you know, fuck you attitude, but she could also do songs like this that showed um, a bit of a tender side to her as well. Even, I mean, they were Ray Davies' lyrics, but I think she, they, they fit her very, very well. Um, and, you know, where she, but also, you know, when she sings at the bridge, you know, each. Each little tear that falls from your eyes makes me want to take you into my arms and tell you to stop all your sobbing. And, you know, that's really quite the opposite of what she was saying in, in, uh, in Precious, isn't it? Mm, yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just wanting to know. I mean, I know that at the time she was having, having this affair with uh, Ray Davies. I, I, I mean, was this pre-affair or was she in the midst of it? Or, you know, did Ray Davies call her up and say, oh, I rather like what you did with my song. Let's... Let's uh, get together. I'm not sure, but after seeing Ray Davies on the uh, the closing ceremony of the Olympics, Chrissy's looking much more much more. He's looking a bit worse for wear. She's she, 
his character years a lot better. Uh, yes, I think Poor I old, think I'd agree. But he's looking looking very old. No, but he but he still knows how to carry a tune. His, his voice is, you know, it's it's weathered well. I mean, he never had to hit any of the really really high notes, but I, I think his his voice has uh, carried him pretty well thus far. Oh yes, totally agree. Mm. All right, let's go on to uh, the next song on the album. This is called Kid. <laughs> Do you remember? Was this was this a single? It was, and it was a. I, 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 and that's where I, I'm. I guess Brass in Pocket made such an impression in Australia. I can vaguely recall hearing this because this was a single before Brass in Pocket, and and it was a. I guess I was buying you know English music press papers, and I I probably was aware of the song because it was a huge hit in the UK. Um, but I can't you know I can't really split it up in my mind that I heard it. And was familiar with it before Brass in Pocket, but mm. um, yeah, and that's something I, I think's forgotten a bit that that Brass in Pocket was not the first, you know, well, certainly in the UK it wasn't the first big hit. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess from our side of the world it mm. might as well have been because that, yeah, as we said before, that's, this is a song that we saw on Countdown along with you know thousands mm. of other kids at the time. Mm. But but this is a good for me too an example of of how much Martin Chambers was part of you know as you said that great rhythm section but also the i think the coherence whatever there is left of the pretenders taking chrissy out of the equation you you know that that thread is still there with martin chambers he's he is an underrated drummer he has got such great feel and there is something instantly recognizable about his playing i don't know do you remember an album that uh, roger daltrey put out called under a raging moon I do. I can't say I've listened to it a lot, but I've okay, well, got it somewhere. <laughs> okay, look, I, I I bought it back in the day, and I mean, it wasn't necessarily one of you know, the greatest albums that you'll ever hear, but I loved the title track, and I loved the idea behind it, and it was basically, you know, Roger's tribute to uh, Keith Moon. I, I, I can't remember if maybe Pete Townsend wrote it or who wrote it, uh, but um, it was, you know, he sang this song pretty much, I guess, like, um, you know, Floyd did Shine On Your Crazy Diamond for... Uh, for Sid Barrett and um, the, Roger Daltrey did this song in tribute to uh, the brilliance of Keith Moon and the exciting thing is they get at one point in the song they get these little drum solos that segue into each other by six top drummers and Martin Chambers was one of those drummers um, certainly not he wasn't a Keith Moon style drummer but you know it, it would have probably been quite an honour for him to have uh, taken part in that and he certainly had something to contribute so yeah I, I certainly agree he's probably not spoken of in the same breath as a lot of other drummers that we take for granted as being a great rock drummers throughout history but um, yeah certainly if he can if he can be playing on a song in tribute to Keith Moon he's got to have something going for him 
absolutely. And, and this song too, mate, I think you can hear the influence of Nick Lowe. It's the, the guitar sound is very much... Because Nick Lowe was doing a lot of production back in those in those days, and and a lot of you know a lot of the the bands that that was sort of popular in the UK at that time were very influenced by by him and mm. and you know the Stiff Records sort of gang. Yes, um, and you know I can really hear sort of a similar to Elvis Costello guitar sound in this song. Yeah. I, I, I like it. Sounds to me almost like a bit of a surf guitar sound, but you know ra- at the low end rather than at the. Um the high end. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it sounds like Dick Dale per se, but it's that twangy style of uh, guitar that yeah, really brings to mind something. This film clip would work well uh, over a surfing film clip, I think. Mm-hmm. But and, yeah, that 60s sound, I love it. Yeah, and for me too, in a, in a similar way to, to Stop Your Sobbing, there's, there's you know some underlying great acoustic guitar in this song that sort of buries yes, it, yes. but it really you know, does add so much to the tune. And, and if you really sort of go and listen to it, it's, it really makes the song, you know. It, it, it sort of, yeah, it gives it some good middle. And I don't think that there's, I don't think they use the acoustic guitar that much, certainly not on these first two albums. But, um, yeah, this is one of those few cases. And, yeah, it certainly does give it some, uh, some padding. Um, that, that It might have been a, a bit more thin-sounding uh, without it. So, yeah, it definitely works. I, I completely agree. And the, the thing that I like about this, is, you know, about the pretenders in general, I mean, we've already gone and spoken about you know, them doing stuff like their contemporaries, but I love the fact how that this song, Kid, sounds contemporary yet respectful of what had gone down before. Uh, you, know, it, it, you know, it has that 60s... Uh, pop melody and you know you mentioned the birds before and I, I think I could see the birds probably doing this as well it's you know got that absolutely gorgeous melody uh, and, and probably you know one of the pretenders most beautiful moments um, I, I, and I yeah no I, I, I love it it's, it's also got a beautiful lyric just like um, Stop Your Sobbing does but you know she sings it I know you know what I'm about uh, I won't deny it but you've but you forgive, though you don't understand. You've turned your head. You've dropped my hand. I mean, it almost sounds like you don't know whether she's talking to a, uh, a disappointed lover or a five-year-old child. You know? But either way, it just, it just works so well. well. Given Chrissy's recent romantic pursuits, it's a combination of the two. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, um, let's move on to uh, the next song. This is actually one song that I asked if um, you didn't mind discussing from uh, the first album. Uh, And I think it's probably more relevant than ever. Uh, This is a song called Private Life. Private life, drama, baby, leave me now. Private life, drama, baby, leave me now. Jenny Gland with your theatrics, your acting's a drag. It's okay on TV, cause you can turn it off, but don't try me. Yes, your marriage is a tragedy, but it's not my concern. I'm very superficial, I hate anything official. 
Now, the album came out, what, 32, 33 years ago or so, and I think it's more relevant than ever, and probably in ways that, you know, Chrissy Hine would never have imagined back in 1980. I mean, you know, here this is you know, ostensibly a song about, you know, saying, look, I'm really not interested in uh, celebrities. This is what I imagine, you know, she's saying, you know, celebrities are always in our face with, uh, you know, appearing in the magazines and stuff like that, but... You know, here we are, 32 years later, Big Brother, reality TV, the internet, Facebook, technology's just sort of gone and taken over, and yet this song, the the core crux of this song really hasn't changed. You know, people's private lives, you know, we're being privy every time you go onto the, the internet, you get to find out about what... Brad Pitt and Angela, Angela Jolie, Angelina, whatever her name is, <laughs> what, what's happening with their sex life or how many children they've adopted or what they're eating for dinner. And, um, you know, I, I love how, you know, really, Chrissy Hind, if you pay no attention to any other lyric in the song, that great line in the, in the chorus, your private life drama, baby, leave me out. Mm. That, that says it all. Life, life imitates art. Indeed. Oh, I mean, look, what, what was the, the Osbournes show, Life for the Osbournes, or... <laughs> the Osborne family, I mean, really, I mean, he'd have done good to have listened to this song. And, you know, if they'd gone and said, Ozzy, we want to do a show about your family. Might have thought, oh, you know, maybe not. <laughs> I, I do, I do, um, I, I read Ozzy Osborne's book in, in recent years, and, and there's, a great, there's a great little story that they offered, you know, to do that show with him. And he said yes, totally as a joke, because he thought, no way in the world. A, is anybody going to watch this? Or B, <laughs> is the network going to want to, you know, put money into it? And he, he was totally gobsmacked that, you know, he was wrong on <laughs> How many seasons did it run for? My God. Yeah, forever. But it's, oh, it's much God. better than Gene Simmons, I'm sure. I haven't, I haven't, haven't seen the Gene Simmons one. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, but at, at least Aussie has a bit of a sense of humour, I think. I don't think Gene Simmons has got any sense of humour. I think he's just, it's all, it's all ego, isn't it? Oh, characters in their own right, but oh, yeah, you've got to love Aussie. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, and we do, and we do. So you're going to go see Black Sabbath next year, are you? I don't know. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've actually got the a live album from the from the uh, one of the concerts they did in in London last year. Or was it early 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 this year? Sorry. Um, and yeah, really, to be honest, it didn't do a lot for me. Okay. I don't know. I'm really not sure. I know we're diverging here a little bit, or digressing, I should say. I guess the ticket prices will be horrendous, so that's sort of... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, you, you wouldn't want to spend $180 for the nosebleeds? I'd much rather go and see Ringo. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> you know, yeah, I bet you can't wait for him to be uh, playing Take These Broken Wings or whatever the Mr. Mr. Guy is going to sing. <laughs> You've got a problem with that, haven't you? I, I do have a problem with that. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so where were we? Oh, we're talking about private life. You know, the, the other song that this reminds me of, at least musically, is the uh, song Fools in Love from Joe Jackson's um, Look Sharp album. They, oh, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, both in what I, it sounds like D minor and both have a bit of a reggae feel going for them. 
Indeed, yeah, I never thought about that. And I played one of my very early bands we played, Falls in Love, and I didn't actually know the tune when we played it. Oh, it's a great song. It's a great song. But, uh, um, yeah, go on. Private Life is also a really interesting song on the album because I mentioned it before that most of the songs are, are very short, under three minutes, bang, bang, bang. But this, you know, this one's a really long song and, and there's a couple on there and it's, it's sort of, again, showing how different and how diverse the album is. Mm, yeah, there's about a six minute, but, you know, for me, it never outstays its welcome. Mm, mm, I don't uh, think... And, and as you said, it's, it's as relevant and as it is, you know, still today. But it also, you, I think you alluded to it before, mate, that you heard an interview with Chrissy not so long ago and um, she was, um, you know, didn't take kindly to the interviewer. And I recall, you know, hearing quite a few in the early days where she was, you know, less than a, a willing participant in an interview. But I, I have heard one recently, I think the last time the band was in Australia, that she was totally the opposite. She was very chatty and, uh, you know, seemed very happy with life in general. So, hmm. Nice to hear. No, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe not being as much in the spotlight as she was back in the day has uh, you know, brought, her, uh, brought out some good spirits in her. I don't know. Be, be nice to hope. But I'd be interesting to, to know, does she actually do this song in her live set nowadays? I would, uh, I don't know. It could be. It could easily nowadays be as much about her, um, uh, a song about her own private life. You know, my private life drama. I'm going to leave you people out. And this is, you know, would have been recorded well before she became famous. So you know, the the irony would have hit her later on when you know her name was being bandied about in the newspapers. Oh, Chrissy Hind in an affair with Ray Davies. Chrissy Hind in an affair with Jim Kerr of Simple Minds, and. Um, yeah, so it was her face that was plastered all over the newspapers and we'd probably be saying, you know, Chrissy Hind, your private life drama, leave us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, once again, I'm going to have to come back to uh, the, the extraordinary rhythm section of Chambers and Fandon because I always have a healthy uh, respect for a good reggae uh, a good reggae rhythm section and whilst they're not necessarily a reggae rhythm section per se but I know that reggae sort of like had a strong influence on British punk and they would have made it their business to be quite familiar with um, those styles as well and basically they could do anything it sounds like you know, you've got punk and you've got pop and you've got reggae it seems like they could do absolutely anything as they did do on this album so yeah. know, kudos to them mm, yeah. All right, so we've got one more song that we're going to talk about from uh, uh, Pretenders 1, and it's the, it's, it's the elephant in the room. Brass in pocket. Let's have a listen to a clip. You've heard it all before, but let's hear a bit. We got brass in pocket. We got battle. I am going to use it. Intention. Been diving, detour leaning, no reason.
like Michael, tell us what's your beef with this? With the film well, like, you know, I, I'm, you know, as we spoke about before, the the film clip killed it for me. I just, I, I never, never did like, you know, those situational film clips that, you know, I'd rather just see the band play and this, and I guess this just got, you know, on Australian television anyway, just got hammered and hammered, and it. I still love the song, and and you know lyrically it's a great song. It's an interesting song, and I, you know I, I'm not sick of the song, but I, you know, it annoys me that I've got that mental picture that I can't get rid of. Look, you know what? I'll tell you something about the film clip. It's only like recently that I went back to just think about the lyrics, and I maybe get a different impression to what I had for many many years. And I reckon I've got to blame the film clip for what my impression of what the song was really about all these years. So, you know, when she sings, I've got brass in pocket, and she sings, I've got, I've got bottle, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use all these things to impress you. I'm going to use my arms, my legs, and it always sounded to me, I always thought for all these years, that Chrissy Hines' character in this song was someone who was really underconfident, and she had to say all these things, I'm going to do this. She's putting herself forward because if you're truly confident, you don't need to say, I'm special. You just, you know you're special. But if you're underconfident, you push yourself forward. And I, I don't know, I've come to think that possibly why I've been thinking of that is because her character in the film clip is, you know, this waitress who is, you know, she's in this little probably one horse town these three guys you know the rest of the band come in and then they all get stolen away by their girlfriends to to go off for a drive they don't even drink their coffee and she's left to sort of you know look all doe-eyed and say you know come on back really i'm special i'm very special and she just sort of seems all pitiful and and um underconfident but i don't know if if i never had heard if I'd never seen the film clip, I wonder whether I would have had that same impression. I don't know. Do you get the feeling that she's just, you know, saying I'm queen shit, or do you think that she's just underconfident, or maybe never thought about it either way? No, you know, the latter, because as you said, the the film clip portrayed that, and or to me it did too. And and yeah, again, it's I guess it's like, you know, when I, when I've read a book, and then gone and seen a, a film that's been made from the book, you know, it's never as good. Mm. So. That, to me, the a tune without having a, a mental image of the film clip is always better. So, and that, yeah, I can't. You know, we're talking about the film clip, aren't we? We're not really talking about the song. So, it's it's left that impression with us, and that really irritates me. And it is a great song, but it, yeah, fantastic. What do you do? Mm. Oh well. So, any any of you listening out there? Um, if you feel like sending us back some feedback, either on the uh, Facebook page or via an email, it would be interesting to know whether you think that you can separate yourself from the film clip of uh, Brass in Pocket. And you know, Let me know, do you think that Chrissy's character is underconfident or whether she's just being a braggart? I don't know. I, can't, I don't think I can objectively say. But either way, yeah, great. Great, great song. And yeah, look, like you, I've heard it countless times over the years. And yeah, I, I don't know. I... I I don't think I'm at the stage where I could say, enough, I don't want to hear it again. Um, I do love it. But um, probably uh, you know, a song I like even better is coming up on Pretenders 2. So I think we've, we've covered all the songs that we wanted to discuss from Pretenders 1. Let's go on to Pretenders 2, the follow-up album, which came out, I think, a couple of years later, because they put out a five-track EP in the meantime. Uh, I think it might have just called Extended Play. Uh, and then finally they got round to producing... 
their uh, their second album. And it's interesting. I don't normally talk about uh, album covers on this program, but it's an interesting contrast between the first album, which you know has got this white background, and you see them all sort of just standing, smiling at the camera, and you know they're a fresh new band on the block. And then you look at the second album, and it's certainly probably a lot more thought has gone into uh, the portrait, but it's very dark. And it, it almost, they almost look world-weary, like, you know, we've, we've done a lot of touring, we've done a lot of playing for uh, audiences all around the world, and Jesus, we're tired. I don't know, that's, that's the impression I get. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, also I think they must, you know, a lot of mental anguish would have gone into the title of the album, so they would have been... <laughs> oh, they, they, they're thinking, oh, who's our inspiration? What did Led Zeppelin do? What did, what did Sky do? Oh, you know, yeah. God. All right, so let's talk about uh, the first song off uh, Pretenders 2. Uh, the opening song is called The Adulteress. The Adulteress. Look at the fool Made up to go out She's desperate and lonely But she's putting it about Look at the spinster Coming down off the shelf She's in love And she hates herself Precious, the opening song for Pretenders 1, which we've spoken about ad nauseum. Um, this album opens up with a slice of really, really tough rock. Whereas I think, though, that Precious owes more to um, uh, owes more to punk. This is, uh, I don't know, I, who, who would be comparable in, in the day. This is more, you know, hard rock. I mean, certainly not metal or anything like that, but... I don't know whether Chrissy Hind had heard any Australian pub rock, but it sort of seems to me like this is a sort of album that could have, or sort of song that could have come from an Australian band of the period. Mm, but I, I think part of that is the guitar sound. It's got, you know, such a great guitar sound, and a lot of the Australian stuff from that similar time had that. And, mm. uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things that, that this song, you know, jumped out at me. Mm, yep, sure. It, it's got that... Uh, chainsaw guitar sound for much of the way and um, I, I like it certainly towards the end of the song where it has uh, I think Honeyman Scott is playing the guitar in that sort of uh, you know, oh, gosh I can't find the word for it but you know what I mean where, you know, they're, they're, they're repeating this motif and you hear uh, chambers drum uh, playing and Honeyman Scott's sort of doing this 
downward slide on uh, on the guitar that you know, it sort of sounds like the sort of thing you'd hear you'd hear in a film where someone's been shot and they're hitting the ground in slow motion. If you've if you've heard the song, you'll know what I mean. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I put that in my clip, but anyway. Um, no, look, this is this song, uh, the adulteress is, I believe, supposed to be autobiographical. As you know, Hind was having the affair with a still married Ray Davies, but it's not a song of personal regret. You know, I'm sure that you know Hind regretted nothing, but. You know, I think in you know, a fair point, she slashes the hypocrisy of uh, you know the people who would judge her. You know, who read the the local tabloids. You know, she sings, "I'm the adulteress, but I didn't want to be. But I'm convenient and I make good tea. I stand accused of the worst crime in history. That's my mystery. I'm the adulteress." She, you know, she's under no illusions as to you know her place. You know wh- what people perceive of her. She's going to be treated like second class, but you know, you know she's made her bed. No pun intended. And she's, you know, she's laying it, and she doesn't want any you know, other people with their own particular faults to, you know, to force their judgment on her. Um, I love this, this other verse. You know, she sings, "I go to the park with a bag of crumbs for the birds. That's where we meet without words." He takes my hand and stares out, uh, and, and uh, there's nothing to understand. I'm the adulteress. And this verse is, in a strange way, it's both romantic and real world. You know, um, we. we we start with you know the awkward meeting in the park, you know the hands being held, but you know these are not two young star-crossed lovers, you know, uh, whose parents will disapprove of their union. This is you know these are two people whose decisions are going to you know scar other people's lives. Um, I, I I just love how she you know takes those, those those two sort of opposing images and just sort of melds them together in her lyrics. Um, there's, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Millie Jackson song, which I know Renee Geyer covered, called "If Loving You Is Wrong." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, whereas you know, in that song, you know, Millie or you know Renee, uh, they sing from the perspective of this really very unhinged lover, you know, saying, "Well, I don't care that you're married, and I don't care that you know, your family is going to be." You know, destroyed over this I just have to be with you and, and you know, really sounds very sort of pitiful um, but you know Heinz character in this is more sort of laid back you know this affair it is what it is you know I'm not going to fight your wife to be with you but I'm here you're here it, it, it is what it is and it, it's similar subject matter but taking a very different tack to it mm. and I guess the the thing that that I took away from Pretenders One that really stuck with me was the sultriness of um, Chrissy's vocals and 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 um, stop your sobbing and the weight in particular and and for me you know Pretenders Two put it on this first song had all that and I thought oh wow you know it's mm. you, you know I'm I'm surprised I didn't think to mention that you're completely right very sultry very sexy and you know, tough and sexy we're not talking uh, like um, uh, Astrid Gilberto, you know, singing on a Carlos Jobim uh, sort of thing, you know, in that sort of gentle, sultry sort of way. This is, you know, sultry, sexy, but bad girl um, all at once. Um, no, yeah, yeah, you're completely right. I'm from the, you know her actually who, whose voice she sort of reminded me of, and this is not a singer, but I, I imagined that if... Um, I've forgotten the name of the actress, but 99... In Get Smart. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, just, I, I just imagine, if she sang, 
and was a little bit tough, she'd sound like Chrissy Hyde. Maybe, maybe from the same part of the world. Akron, Ohio. I have to have to look that up on uh, Wikipedia. That that uh, that vestibule of all good knowledge and all <laughs> information. All right, let's move on to um, the second song I wanted to discuss, and it's the second song on the album. This is Bad Boys Get Spanked. came out I was I think 15 or 16 I don't know about 15 or 16 year old kids today I suspect they're a lot more worldly than than we were or at least I was because you know the internet gives you absolutely everything that you want to see but I'd never heard of the concept of S&M which this song is about and I don't know about you but I found this song both musically and lyrically very scary. I don't know. What did it do for you when you first heard it? Well, I'm just glad the internet wasn't around because I would have sent it Chrissy an email saying, I've been bad. I've been really... <laughs> oh, come and, come and do your stuff. I, I find it more amusing now, sort of, when I listen to it, I guess. Uh, and, I, 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 you know, it's a song that, that I remember, but I, it didn't... Lyrically, it didn't make a big impression on me, but I, you know, going back and listening to it now, I, I sort of get quite a chuckle out of it. Uh, look, I, I remember, I think the first time I heard it was on that EONFM uh, radio interview because they'd, you know, they'd, they'd talk about it, all the songs and they'd play, you know, they'd play the whole song. And, you know, when she went and sang, you know, you never listen, do you, asshole? And then you'd hear the whip cracking down in the background and uh, the music just getting more and more intense. I thought, God, what is going on here? And yeah, she lets out that scream at the end. Uh, and you know, Chambers is playing this frantic beat on on the snare drum. Um, and and uh, you know, Pete Fandon's got the thing on the bass. It's just really. I think to this day, one of the you know musically scariest sounding songs I've, I've ever heard. Um, and, and really, it's it's in a way, I almost sort of think it's. Heavy metal as played by a non-heavy metal band. Does that sort of make any sense? Yeah, and yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and again, the rhythm section carry that song, don't they? They they're such a tough, tight rhythm section. Tell me, do, do you think Martin Chambers is double track? Do you think he's playing like twice on this, or, or no? it, it sounds to me like he's, he's he's playing against himself on this? I'm not, I don't know. I've never really thought. I have to go. I'll have to go and listen to it with fresh ears again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's anyway. That's. I only really sort of thought of that while I was listening to it again in preparation for the show. It never sort of occurred to me till now, but you know, having with headphones on and 
Oh, yeah, it sounds like he's double tracked, but still you know, very, very exciting. Um, but yeah, no, but really, the, it, it, as, as tough as the band sounds, and it really is a band song, but yeah, this is on this song, it is the Chrissy show. Um, you know, really, when, when she comes on, I, you, I just want to cower. Um, you, know, she, you know, she sings, you're not supposed to do that. You know you're not allowed to. But you get, seem to get some kind of kick out of doing what you're not allowed to. You deliberately defy the rules because the law's upheld by fools. Bad boys get spanked. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really very, very scared. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a risk I would be prepared to take. <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy, if you're listening to this, uh, Michael lives in Adelaide. And, and um, you know, Adelaide needs a good time, and I'm, I'm sure you're prepared to uh, offer your services, or at least maybe you could make a new film clip for the song, and Michael would be all too willing to be your subject matter in the film clip. Or I might end up in the outfit that she wore in Brass and Pocket Man. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, I think that um, if you're out there, if you haven't had the good fortune to uh, buy this album and you decide after listening to this that you do want to do this. This song in particular, really, my words, I have three words, play fucking loud. Um, make sure that no kiddies are present, of course, but um, yeah, this is this is one of those songs you want to turn up to 11, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, go to uh, the next song I wanted to discuss, and this was the other really, really big single, at least in Australia, I think it was. Uh, This is Message of Love. Now the reason you're here Every man and every woman Is to help each other Stand by each other When love walks in the room Everybody stand up In Australia, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I think here this was a huge hit, and for me, justly so. Um, but you know, for different reasons to Bad Boys Get Spanked, this song shows, you know, once again, the great rhythmic ability of Martin Chambers, and you know, it shows his ability to play a straightforward part, but still, you know, providing some a very driving rhythm, but you know, with you know. And he tastefully fills in the necessary gaps. You know, it's not just a straightforward 4-4 sort of thing, but it is a very simple part, but he knows where to fill things in. So there's, he doesn't overplay it. It's just absolutely beautiful. For me, I think he's the star of the song. Mm. Oh, but also the bass line in this is just awesome. I, I guess because I've heard it so many times, when I do hear it, you sort of go picking different things. And, mm. and what really jumped at me last time I listened to it was... You know the rhythm section again, but the bassline in it is killer. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a good, um, well, I guess I call good transition song because uh, the rest of side one is all you know 
the band taking a bit of a break. You know, they've started off really, really tough, and then they go very gentle and uh, they show a lot more heart on uh, the rest of side one of the album. But this song, it's it's um, uh, lyrically showing, I guess, a little bit more of a softer side of Chrissy, while still musically in that tough vein of the first two songs. Um, but uh, yeah, no, really, really dig uh, what this in is probably. I don't know, one of the few pop songs I can remember that quotes an Oscar Wilde lyric, or Oscar Wilde line, I should say. Um, I, I, when I first heard the song, I had no idea who Oscar Wilde was and hadn't, didn't know that uh, line attributed to him, which was, we are all of us in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. I just love that line. I really dig that lyric. And, and to me, too, it's this, this song sort of takes me to London. It's got a real sort of London feel about it. I don't know about you. Mm. Um, well, actually, I, I guess I hadn't sort of considered that. Um, so, so what, what is it about um, when you hear this? I mean, do you think about another? Do you think about other uh, typical London bands, or, or is there something about it that sort of makes you think of, I don't know, walking along the Thames? What, what is it that? That sort of thing, in a, in a way that how, who can I sort of, um, you know, in a way that a Beach Boys song takes you to Hawaii or, or California or a, in Australian context, a, you know. A, a Richard Clapton song will take you to to, to Bondi. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, and and it's it's just I don't know what it is. It's just it's sort of again. I, I guess I was reading a lot of English press at the music okay, at the yep, time, yep. And, and it just seemed to yeah. There's you know there's not a lot of lyrical references in there too, but it's, it's just something about it. But okay, uh, and I got to say I've already mentioned like the uh, the Oscar Wilde line, but. Um, I love another great lyric in this that's uh, all hind. When love walks in the room, everybody stand up. Oh, God. Yeah, I tell you what, at the end of my life, they say, is there any lyric you wish you would have written? I would say that. Oh, I'd love to. Just that one great line. Even if the rest of the song was shit, and I don't know what the hell the Bridget Bardo reference is, but, but um, when love walks in the room, everybody stand up. I think the world could learn a lot from that. That's, that's a good one. As good as the Oscar Wilde one. Yes, indeed. Indeed. All right, well, uh, let's go have a bit of a chat about the next song on the album, and this is um, her second Kinks cover. Uh, This is I Go to Sleep. ever officially recorded this but I know that on their album I think it might have been kind of kinks when they re-released uh, the albums the the kinks back catalog the 60s back catalog anyway uh, maybe about 10 15 years ago there were stacks of bonus tracks like you know singles that had never made it onto albums or b-sides or demos and 
And uh, this song, I Go to Sleep, I think it might have been on the Kind of Kinks reissue. And it was just, I think, Ray Davies sitting at the piano. So I'm not sure whether there's ever a fully blown Kinks version of this song, but it, it was of that era that this song came out. And I'm really glad that the Pretenders chose to do this and sort of give it the full band treatment. I just, I love it. Um, it it's uh, just got this gorgeous, lush feel about it. I, I, I think for the first time, on and maybe the only time on those two albums where there's um there's a trumpet and it just adds something nice it's so wistful um it just it really takes you away where it plays that uh plays that motif i, I wouldn't call it a riff but that da, 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 it's just really really beautiful mm. oh this is my favorite pretender song full stop i just love it it's so and i think because it's so different it's and it, like you say, it's the, the lushness about it and the feel of it is just... The only song I can think of that does a similar thing to me is um, there's an obscure song on Tattoo You, the Rolling Stones album, called Heaven. Okay. And it's it's a really dreamy song with just, you know, Charlie playing brushes and it's it's the... Go, go, go and check it out. It's, it does you know, a similar feel. Don't? Long time since I listened to Tattoo You. I, have to, I, I don't remember it. Yeah, but it's a great song when... I'd love this song. I could just listen to this over and over and over again. No, I'm completely with you. Um, yeah, we've already gone and said, you know, it has that beautiful, lush, take you away sort of feel. Um, and, you know, Davy's lyric, which is, it, it's something, it's, it's sentimental and yet um, it rings completely sincere to me. Uh, you know, it's not an original theme thematically, but, you know, singing about, you know, the aching of. Uh, missing a a loved partner uh, and you know imagining that he or she is lying next to them so I don't know whether you know the partner's gone away on a long trip or the partner's deceased but um, but really the 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 aching in this song and the delivery that Hind gives it we've already gone and you know spoken about you know her voice could be completely sultry and even though this is more of a love song rather than um, a song about sex, but it really her voice is very sultry on this one too. Um, when morning comes again, I've been lonely, lonely since you left me. Each day drags by until finally the nightfall descends on me. I go to sleep and imagine that you're there with me. And just really beautiful, very sultry, and she just had a great way of delivery. And um, yeah, she she shines on this one. Mm, absolutely. Yep. Just the, you know, there's nothing I don't love about this song, and and as you said, the the trumpet is just the icing on the cake. Mm, for sure. All right. We'll um, go on to. Uh, I think this might be the last song on side one of the album. Skip over a couple, and uh, we'll talk about talk of the town. Something sometime, one thing leads to another, and oh, was a time I wanted you for mine. Nobody knew you arrived like a day and passed like a cloud. I made a wish, I said it out loud, out loud in a crowd. Everybody heard. 
so this is the most overt pop tune on the album, whereas you know most of the rest of the album, I guess, are you know ballsy rockers or, or lush ballads. Um, uh, Honeyman Scott or Hind, I'm not sure, really play a lovely jangly guitar. So we we're talking before about the birds. Maybe this is another potential birdsy type song too. I think you know Roger McGuinn jangle on all mm. over this. Um, and, you know, it has, I guess, the same sort of 60s flavour as they had on the uh, Kid on the on the, the previous album. And, and when you think about it, a lot of the, the sort of post-punk, you know, stiff records sort of stable at that time, there was a real lot of 60s sort of sounds in there. Definitely. Oh, look, Nick Lowe, um, you know, for sure would have... Uh, would have grown up, you know, just, well, I mean, obviously he's of the age where he would have grown up with that naturally, but, you know, there in the late 70s where these these guys that were coming up with things that were fresh and new, but rather than saying we're going to completely turn our back on everything that's been, you know, they probably, well, no, we don't want to do that. Let's just take what we've heard and put a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's that's pretty much what I see here. Mm. Yeah, and Talk of the Town, again, in Australia, just was flogged mercilessly, wasn't it? Just well, I, I don't think it was maybe quite as much as... Um, so, well, I think Message of Love. I think they allowed... The, the radio announcers allowed the pretenders one song that was completely flogged off each album and another song that you know maybe gained moderate success. And I, I, I remember Talk of the Town certainly being played on the radio, but I think Message of Love was the one that was uh, unescapable. Mm-hmm. And I'm, well, yeah, and both of them got you know so much airplay. Mm. Uh, you know, I I can't really remember how much you know one got compared to the other, but I just recall hearing both of them on the radio heaps. Mm-hmm. I I love um, I love I guess a bit like uh, I go to sleep is about you know the aching of wanting to be with someone who um, you know who's a loved one who's not there for whatever reason. This is sort of about you know the uh, desire to. Um, be with someone who's unattainable. Um, uh, you know, she. I guess maybe this is maybe. I don't know. There I go with my um, thoughts of uh, this being a stalking song of sorts. It's not my place to know how you feel. I'd like to know, but why should I? I watch you still. Uh, I watch you still from a distance. Then go back to my room. You never know. I want you, but now who's the talk of the town? So yeah, I don't know. Is this? About wanting someone who's you know, completely unattainable, being a, a celebrity, it seems a little bit, a little bit creepy. But I don't know. Anyway, but it's still, it's it's a it's a good mixture of lust and envy, and and Hines' voice is all lust in this, um, especially when she sings that "I want you" line in in the way that sort of makes me think of um, uh, was it Jane? I've forgotten her surname. Uh, who sings that Serge Gainsbourg song "Je T'aime"? You, you know the one I'm talking about, yeah. Abigail Covered. Very, very lusty. I'm a fan of lusty songs. In case you hadn't worked that out, maybe we ought to do that as a, as a, a, a show. Talk about our favourite lustful songs. All right. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, I, I think we're near the end. We just want to talk maybe about a couple more tunes from uh, this album. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about uh, first song on the second side of the album. Uh, this is called Pack It Up.
place for me Burning down the Annabelle From jacuzzi to jacuzzi It's alright for you, man Getting smashed, getting something But I know my place So if side one ended up with the group in a fairly serene place musically, you know, uh, you know, having done you know, I Go to Sleep and Birds of Paradise and Talk of the Town, uh, Pack It Up was uh, Chrissy saying, nope, enough of that shit, let's get nasty again. And in this song, she's kicking someone out who she's you know, probably been living with and is thoroughly sick of the way how he slurps his orange juice at the table and how he's off, you know, to, uh, you know, off to the soccer with his mates when he should be with her or he's just being a general inconsiderate prick and so she's saying, you know, pack, pack it up, just get out of my life. You guys are the pits of the world. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's a really great out on your ass, get out of my life sort of song and it's, it's tough sounding, it's tough lyrically, tough musically and... Um, but, you know, she, she also sings that she's not necessarily easy to live with. You know, she's, you know, I may be a skunk, but you're a piece of junk. Um, so it, it's interesting because normally a lot of these songs is always one-sided. Um, it's all your fault. And here she's prepared to acknowledge it. She's probably not the easiest person in the world to live with. But um, in the end, no, it's my place. Fuck off. <laughs> and, and to me, mate, this is, you know, again, an example of the diversity or how diverse the pretenders were. You know, compare this to I Go to Sleep. They're chalk and cheese, but they sit really well on the same album. And compare I Go to Sleep to the um, to uh, Bad Boys Get Spanked. No, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, no diversity. Which really, what what I mentioned before, just I shake my head at the people who say that our oh, Pretenders Two is much like Pretenders One. Yeah, they were both very diverse albums. Yeah, shame. Oh, she's just copying herself. You know, the second time round. Um, just I shake my head in amazement at those people who say that. And for me too, this was a you know, there's such a wall of sound on this song. It's it's almost a bit of a you know, a tip of the hat back to the sixties again. Mm, mm, definitely, definitely. Um I I'm trying to think though who who would be a good um band to compare them to on this on this song. Certainly one of the uh latter sixties groups that had uh that uh, tougher sound. This wouldn't have been sort of like that jangly pop sound of the, you know, 1962, 1963, but probably once things started getting tougher, 67, 68. But yeah, I, I do agree it does have a, a late 60s sound about it. All right, so the final song I wanted to uh, bring into uh, discussion is um, a tune called Jealous Dogs. Jealous everyone Don't be a sucker all your life She's gonna have you hung Evidence Evidence Suspicion Invites treachery Oh, you really got 
Success and its downside, I think, must have come very quick to Chrissy Hine. She's really getting stuck into all the hangers-on, I think, on this song. You know, the paparazzi, the celebrity fuckers, anyone she takes you know, her personal displeasure with, um, see their own, or see their own glory reflected in the pretenders. And, you know, in uh, Chrissy's world, they're all parasites worthy of you know, her scorn, her derision. Um, and, you know, if she wasn't such a good songwriter, you'd really worry about how much bile she spits out so early, really, in the Pretender's career. Um, you know, this is only album number two, and she's already you know, very weary. We've already sort of gone and you know, made mention of the album cover, uh, but this song, Jealous Dogs, seems to um, uh, sort of, you know, reflect that album cover. She sounds tired and weary, but... And yet the song is very exciting musically. Mm. And I think it's a reflection too of, and you know, certainly in the music press and music television in Australia, although you know, it was a, a very cohesive sounding band for the first two albums, you know, the, the band members never got a look in in the media in Australia. And I guess that was the same around the world. It was all Chrissy, Chrissy, Chrissy. So, yes. You know, I, I think that's, you know, that's a reflection of, of, you know, that reflects in this song. I, I, I guess, I mean, look, you know, with, with her um, famous relationships, that was going to happen because, you know, people sort of more interested in the uh, celebrity gross rather than the music, whereas I'm sure that, you know, even she, she... I'll start again. Even though I'm sure she had a lot to say about the artistic direction of the band, uh, I'm sure they were three very strong-minded guys and were not going to be completely dictated to. I'm sure that if they wanted... Um, if you know, if they just wanted to be session musos, they would have gone. They would have gone elsewhere. There would have been easier gigs mm. to take on. But I'm sure they would have had some say in musically how the arrangements of the songs worked. And I'm sure Chrissy would have had it no other way. Mm. Um, but yeah, certainly um, on this song, uh, she's probably fed up, as you say, with everything being Chrissy, Chrissy, Chrissy. You know, she's um, singing about those people. You know, those jealous dogs, always on the alert. Um, they'll take your back and leave your shirt. I think, wow, that is that's very very cutting. But you know, she must have been Im- immensely pissed off to be writing songs like that. Absolutely, but and and musically, this is a strange song. I think it's it sort of sounds awkward. The the but it, that's the, that's when you sort of I listen to it again. That's really the appeal of the song musically, and I I can't really put my finger on it. So rhythmically, I mean, it's not a it's not a straight ahead four four type song, but it's, it's, all it's over not the a, place. Not a that's reggae crazy. song, but it's it's, it's, it's um, the the snare drum on the uh, on the one and three rather than the two and four. It, it, it just the, yeah, there's there's something about it, but incredibly appealing. And, and re- as as a drummer, it really appeals to me to you know, the sort of song that I used to like to jam on. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I guess that's you know probably why it stuck out for me musically. Mm, mm. All right, well, I think we've gone and. Um, 
discussed all we need to about the albums, and probably this has been something of an all-time, not an all-time record, but uh, you know, the shortest that we've taken to discuss an album for uh, for quite a few shows. I might actually get this under two hours. You never know. I might get a few more downloads. People are probably sick of me putting up three and a quarter hour programs. So <laughs> I think at this point what we'll do is um, cut over to uh, Eric Reanimator and he's going to uh, chat to you about the first album from uh, Concrete Blonde. And um, we'll come back in a few minutes and uh, wrap up things and maybe talk a little bit about uh, Concrete Blonde as well. You're listening to Love That Album with Michael and Morris, and we'll be back very shortly after Eric. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. here with another album that I love this time around Concrete Blondes 1986 self-titled album starting out as a band called Dream Six Concrete Blonde based out of LA were nominally part of what was referred to as college rock in the United States before being adopted as part of the alternative scene in the 1990s best known for the bloodletting album I find the group's debut album to be a great slice of 80s underground pop and alternative rock, featuring solid playing by guitarist James Mankey and lyrics and vocals by Jeanette Napolitano. Concrete Blonde stood out from the pack, oftentimes due to their introspective and poetic lyrics. Let's take a listen. Drop it. 
As I noted, they're best known for their Bloodletting album, which contained the song Joey along with Bloodletting the Vampire song and one of my all-time favorite songs, Tomorrow Wendy. However, even with their earliest album, you can hear kind of haunted quality, a atmosphere of longing, a desire for something more. I also like the fact that not all the songs are up-tempo, poppy rockers, and not all the songs are more laid-back folk tunes. And that the band is obviously competent playing in both of those sandboxes. I don't know how many people out there today are rediscovering Concrete Blonde, but I like to think that there's a cadre of young people that will dig them out and rediscover what I really think was a unique voice and vision of music and art at the time. Now, if you're a fan of Bloodletting or their later record, Mexican Moon, which is also a record I really like, I highly recommend going back and checking out the first self-titled album. I'm going to leave you now with what's one of my favorite songs from the album. This is Dance Along the Edge. Catch you all on the flip side. Thanks very much, Eric, for another great segment talking about Concrete Blonde there. Um, now, you were saying something about you really admired their drummer, Michael. Well, uh, well uh, I can't remember if it was the first down, but for a period of time, their drummer was Paul Thompson, who folks may remember uh, from Roxy Music. So he's like twice the age of everyone in the band. But yes. he, he was one of those guys, I think, you know, in... Um, a similar way to Martin Chambers, a great underrated drummer, just had a fantastic feel, and um, yeah, I'm not sure, I'm sure what he's doing these days. I guess he'd be getting on in years, but um, mm. yeah, he popped up with Concrete Blonde, which I really found interesting. I guess the other thing that you could make a fairly good comparison between Concrete Blonde and uh, and the Pretenders is, you know, like uh, Chrissy Hind, uh, Jeanette Napolitano had a really distinctive voice mm. you know mm. you there, there are some singers who are, you know fairly generic and but you know you heard her voice you know even a fraction of her voice you knew ah oh, we're about to hear a concrete blonde song very distinctive absolutely and yeah all just voices my wife joanne um told me long ago a very very funny story at least it seemed funny at the time maybe not so much now certainly not for the person if she'd known but um uh joanne when she was at uni uh, she was she was doing fine art, and she had a painting instructor whose name was Wendy. And so what they'd do is whenever they were painting, 
in you know they're doing their painting classes or you know, whatever working out their masterpieces they used to play tapes of music to keep them going through the class and every day i think their big joke was to play concrete blonde and in particular to play that song tomorrow wendy and they, it was deliberate that they played that song and their teacher never picked up on it and they'd all be giggling as you know she went past <laughs> she didn't get it tomorrow wendy's going to die but um the, I remember getting I a bit of a laugh I can't it. remember some uh, an Australian, and it, it's not Nick Cave, but someone, you know, that in that sort of genre did a version of that with just piano and vocal, and it is the best version of that song. I, you know what? I think I remember the version. I, I like, I, I don't know who it was, but I do remember there was a, a, a yeah, a, a, how you describe. I'm sure there was. Yeah, just absolutely awesome stuff. Mm, mm. Great song. Yeah, and yeah, well, thanks, Eric, for uh, talking about that first Concrete Blonde album. Um, yeah, really, really nice to uh, hear a few of those tunes in there because uh, I, I confess it was um, it was that album that uh, that um, Tomorrow Wendy came off Bloodletting that I'm more familiar with, uh, like I guess a lot of people. But certainly that uh, first album, the self-titled album, has uh, sounds there like has a lot going for it. All right. Anyway, we're uh, about to wrap up uh, another episode. This has been 34 of uh, Love That Album. I'll talk in a couple of minutes about what uh, episode 35 is going to entail. But I'd like to give a bit of a shout-out to uh, some of the supporters of the program. Silver and Gold, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, GGTMC, that is. Paleo Cinema and Martian Driving Podcast from Terry Frost. I wish I could roll my R's. Never mind. The List Film Podcast, which has now gone and changed its name to just The Film Podcast, apparently. Uh, the List Music Podcast, which I don't think is going to be calling itself The List, uh, the Music Podcast, but nevertheless, I don't know, they may make a different call, who knows. Uh, Better in the Dark, uh, All Time Top 10, with uh, my good friend Ben Eisen. I was on his program a week ago, talking about our favourite lyricists and, you know, I don't mind chatting once in a while about lyrics on song. I don't know. Something to it. Could be all right. Uh, who else? Ah, oh, The Feminine Mystique. This is a new one. Uh, well, sort of newish. It involves Emily, who used to be one of the hosts on the um, Girls on Film podcast. So that was a podcast where four women, in, uh, I think three Yanks and one Australian uh, woman from Perth would talk about uh, blokey films, but from a female perspective, but that sort of died a death. So The Feminine Mystique has um, uh, Emily and uh, another lady, Christine, talking um, about, um, well, I, I think it's a bit more of a broader topic. It's not necessarily blokey films, but just whatever it is that they're into at the moment. So they've had a couple of episodes thus far, and they've had a really good start. So uh, a bit of a shout-out to, uh, to them. Don't know if they're listening to this, but um, if you are, Good luck to you, um, and uh, I look forward to listening to more of your very fine podcast. And uh, the Mondo Film Podcast. I know I, I was really hoping that we we're going to be at the end of the Jerry Lewis series of specials. I thought there was going to be four episodes, but there's a fifth one, and Mondo Justin, I hope, is any time now going to be putting it out. So um, uh, that'll be done. And I know that we were talking before about 2001 off-air, 
uh, Michael, and I know that Mondo Justin is planning on doing a big show. It'll, and knowing Justin, it'll be a really well-researched program talking about 2001, and it'll probably get everyone who's still alive who worked on the film to talk about it. So um, that'll be very, very exciting. I did, did download a podcast very, oh, I guess, a few years ago now when Arthur C. Clarke was still alive, and he was a fascinating character. So I... I look forward to hearing hearing that one. Mm, no, it'll be fantastic. So uh, there's that one. I think that pretty much covers it. Um, you want to give a little bit of a uh, shout out to all the listeners who um, uh, who support the fine "Sitting in the Bar in Adelaide" podcast. Of course, yes. Thank and and I want to thank you, mate, because you put me on to um, to uh, one of my recent shows. that's turned into two uh, to the wonderful. Uh, Author and radio personality Jeff Jenkins, who uh, who's you gave me a heads up that he's written a great book called Sophisto Punk about um, the uh, the career of Mark Opitz, who uh, is a uh, one of Australia's most I hope celebrated record producers and engineers and uh, record company people. Maybe not so well known, but uh, he really the soundtrack of Australian music in the the eighties was all him and uh, absolutely. I mean, like, before before the before the eighties became bland i mean but his his production on um, cold chisel's albums and and on uh richard clapton's the great escape which yes 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 we will get to um is, is really fresh and very very vibrant very exciting stuff yeah so i'm I've, I've had a chat with um with jeff and my intention was to have one show uh with half jeff and half mark but i i had such a ball talking to jeff um that I, uh, I decided I'll, I'm, I'm talking to Mark this coming Wednesday, so I'm going to make two shows out of it. It's just I couldn't uh, couldn't bring myself to edit out any of the stuff I did with Jeff. So I'm really looking forward to it. So you're actually getting to speak to Mark Opitz? Yeah, so. Jeff put me on to him. So it'll oh, be, fantastic. A, a very, uh, from, uh, I've heard some other stuff with him over the years, and he's a very um, you know mild-mannered sort of, you know, uh, unassuming sort of guy. But you know, when you hear the sounds this guy got in the studio from... You know, my favourite ACDC album is Power Age, back from 78. And he, yes. you know, the sounds he got on that set the tone for what ACDC became. And as you said, you know, when I, when I look at the catalogue of artists I love, the album that really sticks out of me, to me, for all of them, you know, Clapton's an example, Mark Opitz's name on it. So, you know, what does that say? Mm-hmm. No, he's quite vital to the industry back back in the day. And you know, probably not as um, well-known, certainly outside of Australia, but maybe not even inside Australia, as Vander and Young, but you know, certainly just as vital a piece of the Australian music history puzzle as, mm. uh, as those guys were. Yep, so looking forward to having a chat with him this coming Wednesday. So when people want to download your chat with Jeff and with Mark, how can they find you? Um, Adelaide Rock Show... Uh, .medio.com is the actual website. If you if you throw sitting in a bar in Adelaide into a search engine, there's so many podcast directories around, it just seems to pop up everywhere. So You're going to have to find a way to get that downloadable on iTunes. Because I should you know, do. I should, uh, I should pull my finger out and do that. It's on my list. You know what? When, when, I, come to, when I come to visit you in Adelaide, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to make sure <laughs> it happens, all right? All right, you do that. Yeah. And, and, it, and it probably won't be done by... <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, really wonderful to uh, chat with you again, uh, 
today. Oh, I sh- oh yeah, a few housekeeping things. If um, I'd be ever so grateful, listeners out there, if uh, you'd send me some feedback. I, I feel a bit lonely. I don't really get any email feedback. You know, there's you know, a few of you who write some things on the Facebook page. Always grateful for that and always glad to start up a conversation. But, you know... Send me a little, get me a little bit of email, love. You know that'd be that'd be nice. You know, you, I don't care if you say I think the show's shit. You know, that's okay. It's it's, it's all good. Just send me an email. Uh, you can send an email to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au if you want to join the Facebook page for Love That Album. You go www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Love That Album. If you wish to find a couple of ways to download the podcast, you obviously know one of them because you're listening to me right now. But the other way is you can either get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or you can get it from lovethatalbum.podbean.com or you can just type in all one word Love That Album into iTunes and go through the whole back catalogue if there are some other albums that you'd like to hear myself and Michael or whoever I've got with me talking about, then you can... um, uh, go through the back catalogue. I'd be ever so grateful if you want to write uh, a review on iTunes. I'd be grateful for that. I'm just, I'm just full of gratitude, you know. I just, I, I, I don't take anything for granted. So that'd be, that'd be just absolutely marvellous and fantastic. So I should just quickly talk before we say goodbye about uh, what the next show is going to be. The next show is episode 35, and it's going to be the last one I do for 2012. I'm going to take a bit of a break over our summer um, I, so it, by the time it comes out it should be out online the last episode maybe about mid-December and yeah so I'll probably be back sometime mid to late January but the last episode is going to be another shooting the shit special so a few episodes back uh, just because I needed to uh, record something when, when a uh, guest host had um, uh, unfortunately dropped out due to health issues we, uh, I invited a few people to come on and just talk about anything they wanted to music-related, and we had a lot of fun. And those people were Tim Merrill, uh, Jeff Smith, uh, John Stirrett, and myself. And uh, this time, it'll, so it'll be the same crew, but we'll also be having. Um, actually, no, so I wasn't. Jeff Smith wasn't on the last one. Jeff Smith's going to be on this one this time round. So who? Oh, of course, Eric Reanimator. Our very own An Album I Love segment presenter, Eric Reanimator, is going to be on the show as well. So the five of us will be shooting the ship, but it won't be just random. We have a little bit of um, a theme going through that, and it's basically we're going to be talking about our favourite albums of 2012, but we're not going to be so dull as to just talk about our favourite albums that came out this year. We all like find albums that we should have heard several years ago. So amongst our favourite albums, we're also I've also said... Talk about albums that you discovered in 2012. It could be a year old. It could be 30 years old. And they've taken on that brief. And we're going to see what the results are when uh, I record and present to you. So I'm looking very forward to that. The last episode of 2012. I hope you can see fit to download, tune in, uh, listen to it whichever way that you choose to do. And um, sometime in 2013, I promise... Michael and I will be talking about Richard Clapton's The Great Escape. I've been talking about that for a long time, haven't I? Looking forward to it. I've, I've already written the notes, mate. Oh, bloody hell. You've been talking about <laughs> the lyrics, I hope. No, no, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> That's my domain. Steal your thumb. Uh, all right. Look, anyway, thanks very much, Michael, for uh, uh, being with us this episode, Rain. Pleasure as always, mate. 
And all you folks out there, please listen to some great music. Oh, I'm always saying one more thing, one more thing. Because I'll be doing that episode talking about our favourite albums of 2012, either recorded, released, or just favourite albums we discovered, another thing I'd be ever so grateful for is, you know, I mentioned about feedback. Send me some feedback, either written or in MP3 form. Telling, I want you to tell me what your favourite albums were because like a few of the albums that I really dug this year were from people who'd gone and put recommendations to me on the Facebook page and some of the great albums, which I'm not going to mention now because it'll be you know food fodder for discussion on, on the actual show. But if you have some albums, I don't care what the genre is, whatever it is that you really dug this year, send me some feedback. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, and we'll... You know, it, I'll read it out or play it in MP3 form if that's how you send it to me it'll be great so um, with that in mind so get your thinking caps on write me a list and um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks <laughs> and this really is the end of the show so thanks once again Michael thanks people out there for listening bye 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 it's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.